Yo, and welcome into week five of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, and the Big Turp back again for another week. Brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro. Online, it's walk-ons.com. Find a location near you, and chances are, if you're in SEC territory, there's already a location that's either been built or it is being built very, very soon. Walk-Ons Sports Bistro. Fellas? Glad to be back with you for another week, and we have been getting some absolute bangers in the SEC, man. It is uh, it is that time of year, CD, where it's like, okay, we going to find out. We got some games that are starting to tell the story of what the season's going to look like. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it, Hest? Uh, we're already a month in. We now turn our attention to October. You feel like you got a large sample size of, of games and, and things to draw conclusions from which I think is true for a lot of teams, but there are a few, including some teams that are playing one another this weekend that maybe we don't know an awful lot about. We'll get into that as we preview some of the upcoming games, but I think Ole Miss certainly is one of those teams that I'm anxious to get a real feel for what they are, and I, I imagine the test in, in, in Oxford this weekend with Kentucky coming to town could tell us about both of those teams and how legitimate or lacking uh, legitimacy they are. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. And we're going to get into every single SEC team like we always do with our last call. We're going to preview week five. We're going to preview those marquee matchups that we're talking about. We're going to recap best bets because I finally have a pulse. So we'll get to all of that. But as we start off every single pregaming the SEC, we're going to hold my beer. And of course, if you listen by now, you know this is a standout performance that we want to make sure that we highlight and we mention here to start the show. So my hold my beer moment from last weekend in the SEC is going to go to Hendon Hooker. This is somebody that is playing at an extremely high level in a game against the Florida Gators where you had game day in town, CD. Tennessee's been waiting for a big moment like this. You want your stars to shine the brightest. And Tennessee star did just that. Hendon Hooker, 22 of 28. 349 yards through the air, two touchdowns, a QBR of 95.8, but that wasn't it. He also did it with his legs. 13 carries, 112 yards, added a touchdown on the ground, and also had a 44-yard explosive play. Hendon Hooker, he did it last year. People outside of the league were wondering, okay, is that just a flash in the pan? Is this going to be a guy that reverts back to the player he was at Virginia Tech? He's not reverted back. He's actually gone the other way. Hendon Hooker is a true Heisman Trophy contender, yep. certainly if Tennessee continues to win ballgames. I love that Big Turp pulled that sound from me like uh, a couple weeks back and put that out on social where I declared him a, an early Heisman uh, a guy that should be amongst the, the discussion when we get to December because I felt like it then and I even more so feel like it now. That was one of those big-time games that helps get you on that Heisman map, right? Especially with Tennessee and the the atmosphere in Knoxville making a, a little bit of a resurgence, getting the the one of the two monkeys off their back. Of uh, that's what's you know kind of dominated them recently with Florida winning sixteen on the last seventeen and Alabama being on the run they have against the Vols. You gotta make you gotta make change in in, in the trend of those games, and they did it with the the Florida win. Um, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned Virginia Tech, too, because we had Tavion Robinson on uh, the show with us the other day on the SEC Network. 
And I asked him, I said, what, you know, what's it like watching Hinden Hooker do what he's doing? Like, these were both guys that are big time players at their respective SEC schools that didn't have nearly the production in Blacksburg when they were both playing for the Hokies. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about him having to replace Wondell Robinson as well for that Kentucky offense. And a lot of people are like, there's no way. But he's kind of been that guy. Like, he's been the guy that Kentucky, while they're waiting on the running game to pick up because they've only averaged 88 yards on the ground. Now, Chris Rodriguez, we'll get into that when we start to preview that game. But you're right. Like, he's picked up where Wondell kind of left off. And he had a couple of stars there at Virginia Tech. They weren't able to reach their level. And what do we always talk about? There's some programs across the country that can develop players because you can be talented, but how do you develop that player once you get to campus? That's probably, I mean, not trying to be mean here. It's probably why there's a new coaching staff there at Virginia Tech. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great point there. But focusing on the here and now with what he's done since he's arrived in Knoxville, you know, we, we've talked an awful lot about the different exploits. One, we saw how tough he was. That that shoulder certainly looked like it was bothering him in the second quarter. I thought he might be coming out of the game, but not only did he stay in, he 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 used his legs and was taking on tacklers, which may not have been the, the the best decision at times, but it shows the competitiveness that he has and and the commitment to to winning that he has. Um, I also I, I want to go back and and two talk about not only the, the the touchdowns that he throws for, but maybe more importantly, the way that he protects the football. Like, yeah. what's he thrown yeah. since becoming the starting quarterback? Two or three interceptions, I think. It's something ridiculously low. Two touchdowns – or two two interceptions that he's thrown against, I think, what, 38 or 39 touchdowns that he's thrown yeah, in that so, same period of time. So, so last year in 302 attempts, he only threw three interceptions. This year with 113 attempts, he's not thrown an interception. And last year, like CD was saying, one of those was in the post game when he took over. Yeah. So not even – as a starting quarterback, he's only thrown two interceptions during his, his time there uh, for the ball. So very impressive. Uh, I'm with you, man. He's a, a Heisman candidate for sure. You look at their upcoming schedule, he's going to have an opportunity to make hay. I mean, this is a Vols team that's going to have an opportunity to really put themselves in the mix going forward with how difficult their schedule is. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, a, a guy worth celebrating. And I'm going to actually make my hold, hold, hold my beer a guy that was on the other side. And it's a little bit of a different hold in my beer because I think the expectation level for – Anthony Richardson has been up and down. Like after the Utah game through the roof, everybody's talking about him being a top 10 pick. Everybody talking about him being a Heisman candidate. And then all of a sudden, you know, he plays against Kentucky and South Florida and everybody's you know, amongst Gator nation, at least is, yeah. is in despair yeah. mode. Like what are we going like to do? Kenny Hill at Texas Remember that when he burst onto the scene, yeah. he had one game and everybody's like, Oh, Heisman front runner. And then you never heard from him. Never heard from him. So I love the yep. point that you're making about him bouncing back. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, that he bounced back on the road. Florida played their first three games at home in Gainesville, where Anthony Richardson is from, has a lot of family and friends around. I think he really feels the pressure of the expectation levels that not only the national media was putting on him and the fan base, but the, the friends and uh, family around him being so close. So they go on the road, and sometimes you know this, has playing in an, a hostile environment, playing – away from your stadium is something that that kind of brings your team together and brings your focus inward a little bit more and I thought that's what happened with Anthony Richardson the game plan was tremendous offensively for Florida the the gambling nature 
that uh, Billy Napier kind of went with, knowing that they were going to need to score touchdowns to stay within range of, of that high-powered Tennessee offense. Six fourth-down attempts, five of them they were able to convert. And I think the thing I loved about it most, Hester, is that he showed that he was confident in his, his quarterback, not just his legs, but in his, his arm. Fourth and one, you know, you trust him to throw the go route to Justin Shorter down the sideline that they're able to convert. Time and time again, they were moving him outside the pocket where I really feel like he's the most impressive. And maybe the most impressive thing that I took away from that game, how about his pocket awareness sliding when he had pressure, stepping up when there were or the folks, you know, coming in, caving in the pocket, scrambling with his eyes down to, to keep the ability to, to, to hit receivers as they uncovered. Some of those, the biggest plays happened outside of the pocket when receivers were just, you know, making the scramble plays happen. And I, I, I thought, you know, the, not only was, was AR great, but seeing receivers play more consistently really gave me some hope about the future uh, of the team, the offense, and specifically Anthony Richardson. So a guy that, that threw for over 450 yards, this was the last rated team in the SEC when it came to passing yards per game. We're uh, averaging under 150 yards of passing game. And Anthony Richardson goes out, throws for 453. He rushes the ball another 17 times for 62 yards. He was single-handedly the impetus for this offense, this team having a chance to win the game late, which seemed unlikely to me. Oh, without question. And he blew his first two touchdown passes of the year, which I thought was huge for him. And then you look at what he was able to do in the pocket. It's a great point because we saw something that was a little bit different from him. And the receivers did step up. That's a great point as well. Like this receiver crew – needed to step up and they did so like even getting Whitmore in there like and getting him some action like that may be a guy that maybe you can trust like from third down down the road so I think yes you lost a game that's never going to be okay at a place like Florida but for the offense you saw a lot of growth in this game like I like ETN Wright and Johnson I know they can run the football but I needed to see some receivers step up and I think within this game you had at least four or five guys that now that probably have a different feeling and I mean feeling Way going forward the season. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate what I said on TV the other night. We at Florida, I as a lifelong Gator fan, we don't celebrate moral victories. I, I'm not a moral victory guy in any sport, let alone you know the University of Florida, or for that matter, I, I imagine LSU is the same way. But I did walk away from that game feeling much more positive than I had, and and you know it sucks to lose as a Gator, but I I I don't I'm not. I had I had very little expectation not only for this game but for this season. And I, I look at it as year zero for Billy Napier, knowing what that you have to do in terms of upgrading the talent on that roster, implementing your culture, those types of things. But my biggest takeaway, you know, I'll, I'll save that for our next segment, our last last call segment, and looking back from the previous week. But I I, I do walk away feeling optimistic, not only about the team's chances in the future, but what Florida's developed offensively as a counterpunch. They're going to be able to run the ball well, but if teams are going to take that away, you got to be able to have a counterpunch. And I felt like the passing ability of Anthony Richardson now has developed that counterpunch that uh, Florida needed. And hopefully it starts with consistency. Hopefully he can keep from avoiding the you know previous drop-off that they had after that great game against Utah. All right, we have one more beer that needs to be held, and that is Big Turp. He's got to pass his beer out. So, Big Turp, who is holding your beer this year? All right, it was 
It was ugly at times, but I'm going with the Aggies. They got the win. We, we all talked about it. We were all on Arkansas. It was Arkansas plus two. We were saying, why is AM the favorite? It doesn't matter how they did it. They did not look that pretty on offense, but they got the play they needed. The 97-yard fumble return when K.J. Jefferson tries to go up over the top. If that field goal goes in, it's a completely different story. But it hits the top of the upright. A&M gets a huge win. And now it, now it turns into what if A&M had beaten App State? If A&M beats App State, we're all very happy with where they're at in the season. So it's, it's the little field goal going out. I don't care how ugly it was at times. That's a huge win for A&M. So I'm just going A&M in general saying hold my beer. Yeah, they were they were fortunate to get the victory. They certainly were. Um, when you go back and you watch that tape, it is not uh, a beautifully played football game by any means. And yes, if they find a way to beat App State, now the Miami victory looks completely different after they went and got a house by Middle Tennessee State. But again, it's wins, it's losses. It's kind of the same thing that you know the Auburn Tigers. Like yes, it feels as toxic as toxic can possibly feel. But at the end of the day, they only have one loss. Like, I realize they should have lost that game against Mizzou 73 different times, but they only have one loss. And so it is uh, – look, the narrative can be talked about in a lot of different ways, but, CD, it's all about, like, winning and losing football games and what's your record and what's your record. Yeah, I think the, the funny thing about this time of year is that we can take one game or we can take one part of a game and make it mean too much in a lot of cases. And um, I think it's easy to – to do and overreact a little bit uh, as we're, we're still dealing with a rather small sample size. Now, albeit we're a third of the way through the season and um, we're starting to get into the, the most crucial part of the year with conference games. I love the lineup that we're going to be able to talk about as we go forward, but uh, there is a lot out there for, for just about every team. Like the, the goals that most people put together in the preseason are all still very attainable. Even for Texas A&M, every single goal that's out there, including the national championship is available despite the loss to App State. You are exactly right. Every goal, everything that's on their little board, right? It's always like win the home games, win the West, win the SEC, win the national championship. All of those things are still there for them. All right, now we're going to have – Last call. And if you listen to this podcast before, you know what we do with our last call here. We rush to the bar and we give you a little bit of a rapid fire on all 14 SEC schools and where they currently sit. Doesn't mean what they were doing two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or even four weeks ago. What is our current thoughts on all 14 schools in the SEC? I'll turn it over to Big Turp. Let's do it. All right, let's start in the West, and we're going worst to first in terms of SEC standings, and the beauty of early season is that these don't actually reflect who's the worst and who is first because Ole Miss has not even played a game yet in their middle of the pack in the West, but we're starting at the bottom of the West with the only 0-1 team in the conference. That's Mississippi State. Mississippi State coming off a 45-14 win over Bowling Green. So last call from week four. CD, we'll start with you, Mississippi State. Yeah, I, I feel like they are a little uneven right now. You know, and, and if you listen to Mike Leach after the game, he was a little frustrated with the on and off a switch that was being flipped by his team. Now, certainly, you look at that first half. Will Rogers has, was as good as we've seen him all season long. Uh, the second half, I think there was uh, a little bit of lack of focus by the entire team. Uh, but 
you know, at the end of the day, I felt a lot better about where they were than I did after the LSU loss. And um, I think it'll be interesting this week, and we'll certainly talk about that game coming up with Texas A&M. But Will Rogers, when he gets it going, he's as accurate a quarterback as there is in the entire conference. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too long because I'm not panicking on Mississippi State. I believe in Mike Leach. I believe in Zach Arnett. This week will tell a lot of who they are and where they're at. But I do know that Will Rogers currently is tied for the lead across the country in touchdown passes. When you've got a guy at that position, you're going to have a chance every single week. Now, LSU unlocked something. They you know, were able to get to Will Rogers. They had four sacks. They've only given up eight all season long. Can they stop teams from getting after the quarterback when the competition continues to ramp up? That's going, you know, really going to be the question for me. But Will Rogers, you've got a stud. You're going to be in every contest. You've got to protect him. If you do, you're going to win those contests. All right, let's go to the only one and one team there in the SEC West in SEC play. Arkansas. Hess, we'll start with you. Arkansas coming off that heartbreaker we just talked about in in Hold My Beer upright top of the upright to lose by two to AM. so last call on arkansas all right arkansas fans i just want you to know i do love your football team i love your head coach i love the way you play football but winning games like they had to do last week and they didn't get done is a learned behavior it's something that over time you learn how to do it like you truly do and arkansas is close to being a team that can learn how to win a game like that like, there's a difference between eight wins and nine wins and double-digit wins. Arkansas, let me put it up close to the camera. You're close. You're very, very close to being a team that has learned that behavior and how to win games like that. You were the better team on Saturday. You've got to make that jump from a nice team to a great team. And I, I'll say it again. You're extremely close. You're just not quite there yet. But you have so many more chances on your schedule that you can show me you can be a great team. You didn't get it done last week. Can you get it done this week? We know who you've got coming to town. We're going to break it down later. It's a learned behavior in Arkansas. Learn it fast. Yes, I, I think it's um, interesting. You know, we talked about it on uh, the show with PB the other day. Like Arkansas, I think, is one of the most likable programs in the entire country, right? You have a guy in Sam Pittman that you can't help but but like if even if you're an opposing fan, it's a cool story where they came from in just a couple of years. But I think people right now look at that more as oh that's a good feel good kind of thing. When in reality, you want to be disliked. It's the teams that are able to 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 win games <laughs> like they lost yeah. on Saturday that that makes you disliked by other teams. It's the greediness that we talk about here a lot that makes you dislike like. So I do think that that uh, there's a ways, uh, still a little bit of a ways to go for Arkansas, but I'm with you. I've never seen a game where I look at the stat sheet and see it dominated in every category, but yet look up at the scoreboard and see them on the wrong end of it. Like that one play, the KJ Jefferson fumble going in that Damani Richardson ended up stripping from his own teammate and taking the distance was the difference in the ball game. Uh, that and the red zone defense that Texas A&M has kind of been known for. But those, that game was was completely in full control. If, if Arkansas scores a touchdown there, it's 21-7, and I think it's on the verge of becoming a blowout. Credit to Texas A&M for keeping it from going that way and making the plays they needed to. But I'm with you. Arkansas is very close to being able to put it all together. And, and, and maybe 
I undervalued them heading into the season from what I've seen so far. All right. What we got? Ole Miss not yet played an SEC game. Like I said, that Tulsa game was was a little interesting. They got they got up 14, uh, 14 tied. Then they go up 35-14, and then Tulsa kind of comes back a little bit. Final score was 35-27. Uh, so, CD, we'll go back to you here. Ole Miss, last call. Must be one of the something that's in the in the water in Mississippi, right? Because I said Mississippi State was uneven in their performance, an incredibly uneven performance from Ole Miss on Saturday against Tulsa. Um, they looked terrible in the first quarter defensively, and then they're able to start getting some stops in the second quarter. They put up what twenty eight points, I believe, in that in that second quarter, um, and 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 then kind of just turn it off completely in the second half. So I'm not sure what's going on and I can't help but want to start previewing this week as I talk about that Ole Miss uh, Kentucky matchup pass I'm going to hold off I'm going to show a little restraint but I think of all the teams in the conference I feel like I know the least about Ole Miss right now because of the schedule that they've played because of some of the, the inconsistencies that I've seen I really can't wait to see what this team turns out to be after this game against Kentucky on Saturday. I'm completely, I'm right there with you. The last call for me with Ole Miss is I don't know who you are. I have no idea. I just don't know who you are. Now, I know what your strengths are. I know where you have some weaknesses, but I just don't know who you are as a team because you've played Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa, right? You house the first couple of teams you play, like Big Turt mentioned. You find a way to win, but you have to hold on 35-27. Now, Tulsa's not a bad football team or a bad football program. But still, like, in a game like that, you want to see Ole Miss put that away. They weren't able to put that away. This game against Kentucky, you're a seven-point favorite. People are expecting you to win. Just know you're going to get punched in the mouth, and how you react to getting punched in the mouth is going to tell me so much more about who you are. So I don't know yet. I'll have a better last call for Ole Miss after this game against Kentucky. Hey, I will say this. The last thing before we move on, Tulsa came in as a very highly rated offense, number one in all of the FBS when it comes to throwing the football. But maybe the most troubling thing is that they ran for over 200 yards against this Ole Miss defense. And Kentucky, again, hate to start previewing, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what Chris Rodriguez can bring to the lineup in his debut for the 2020 season on Saturday. We're called pre-gaming the SEC. All previews, pre-games are welcome <laughs> here. Right? We're always looking to spin it forward. All right, let's go to the other side of that Arkansas A&M game. A&M wins off the last-second doink, off the 98-yard fumble return. Hess, A&M, last call. Oh, man, it's still clunky. And that You found a way, and credit to you, because it's about wins and losses at the end of the day, but it just looks clunky on offense, and it's not going to get easier. Anaya Smith, somebody that CD, you and I love. We love the way yeah. he plays football. Jimbo loves him. They use him in so many different ways, and now he's going to be gone for the rest of the season. I'll say this. It, it feels better with Max Johnson at quarterback. It does, and so there's room for growth, I think. But as well as you're playing defensively, that's great. I just don't know if you have enough offense to go have the type of season that you want to have. You can have a nice season. They don't want nice. They want exceptional. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were hyped up too much in the offseason, and I never really understood the, the hype. You know, I, I really feel like they're poised to have some really good seasons in 2023 and 2024, but the fact that everybody was thinking that they're the 
sixth best team in the country heading into the year, I, I thought, you know, set people's expectation levels a little out of whack. Uh, with that being said, you, you said clunky. I'm going to say difficult. Like everything looks hard for that offense. There's nothing that, that flows offensively. I, I still don't believe that they necessarily know what their identity is. And, and a lot of that starts with the offensive line. Credit to Devon A-Chain. I think he is an amazing running back. And I'd love to see him run behind the, the kind of offensive line that Isaiah Spiller got to run behind when he was at Texas A&M. But um, at the end of the day, this is a team that I, I don't think is as good as maybe what their record indicates or their ranking indicates. Uh, that Miami win loses some luster with the way the Canes were dominated at home by MTSU. Uh, I look at um, I look at what what uh, last week Arkansas. I felt like they dominated the whole game. We'll know more uh, about A and M going to Starkville this week. And again, we'll we'll talk about that in our upcoming segment. But I'm with you. Like I. I don't want to be described as a hater by Texas A&M people, but I just don't really like this Texas A&M team this year. Nothing personal at all, but like, it's not, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm eating like rice cakes. Like it's stuff going in, but it's not really satisfying me inside. You know, I'm, I'm left feeling a little bit empty despite the, the amount of volume that I'm putting in of these rice cakes. Uh, look, as a man who tries to eat as, as healthy as possible, I've had a lot of rice cakes in my day, and I can <laughs> confirm everything Chris Doring just said. Great analogy. Thank you. All right, let's uh, let's go. There's three left in the SEC West. They're all 1-0. and Let's start with LSU. LSU coming off a 38-0 win over New Mexico. I uh, feel like this is one of the more interesting teams in the SEC at this point. Uh, but, CD, last call on LSU. What you got? I feel better about it, and I'm going to take the outside perspective here, Hess, and you can certainly correct me where I'm wrong. But, you know, I, I feel like a lot of those things that embarrassed LSU in the opener against FSU are getting cleaned up. Uh, some of the, the penalties, some of the mistakes, uh, they look like they're starting to, to figure things out in terms of the, the, the defense pitching a shutout against New Mexico may or may not do anything for you. But I, on the heels of that effort against Mississippi State's offense, I feel really good about them. Uh, but Jaden Daniels, like he's not dicing people up, throwing the football, but his numbers are efficient. He's not throwing interceptions. He's certainly running the ball, which we expected him to be able to do. And, and so I actually kind of like the evolution of where LSU is right now. We'll, we'll know a little bit more when they uh, take on Auburn on, on Saturday night. But I, I, from an outside perspective, has feel really good about LSU's improvement. Maybe that's because the bar was set so low after that FSU debacle. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think first three quarters against FSU, it was like, uh-oh, more of the same, right? And everything you just laid out with the penalties and, uh, you know, block extra points and block field goals and the little things and muff punts and all that, you're like, man, it's more of the same. Since then, they've, they've been the team that we thought maybe they could be because they had some talent and we knew that the coaching was going to be attention to detail, and we've seen some of that. And, look, when you play in New Mexico, it is what it is but they held them to 88 total yards and only two first downs in the entire contest. They had four sacks and New Mexico only attempted six passes. Like that tells you like <laughs> what happened in that game, right? So you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in games like that, but it's the Mississippi state game that we're going to, you know, going to kind of come back to because that's what we have. I can tell you the one thing I know about them right now, Matt house is a stud, the defense coordinator, yep. We've seen him do it at Kentucky. He went to the NFL. He's come back, and the game plans that he's putting together, he has 
pieces that can kind of move across the board. Like Harold Perkins against Mississippi State lived in the A-gap, okay? And he had success rushing the passer. So I'm sure New Mexico all week long said, 40's down, he's never going to be on a back, he's going to be in the offensive line count. Well, what did Matt House do? He put him as a nickel Sam most of the game. So, okay, you game plan all week for 40 to be down, no matter where he's at, well, he's out there in the slot. Right, and you have pieces that can do that. Jay Ward plays safety. When you play Mississippi State, you move him to the nickel position. He's SEC Defensive Player of the Week. Now, he might move back to safety against Auburn because of what they can do and where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. So he understands he's got versatile guys. He's putting them in places to succeed. He got B.J. Ojolari matched up on a guard multiple times against Mississippi State. There's not a guard in this conference that can block B.J. Ojolari one-on-one. It's just a mismatch. So he is finding a way to let his playmakers thrive and also have some confusion for the offense. And so for me, the biggest takeaway for LSU is Madhouse. All right. We talked about uh, A&M surviving a close one against Arkansas. How about Auburn surviving? That what I cannot the believe they ended up survival. winning that game. That is the ultimate survival by Auburn, but they win 17-14 in overtime. We'll get to Missouri later, but let's do Auburn. Do they now. win? Do they win though? <laughs> Did I, they I lose? Like- they didn't lose, but I, I don't feel like I don't feel like they won the game. I don't feel like A and M won the game necessarily. Like they somehow came out on top of the scoreboard, and I guess maybe more so with with Auburn coming out. Of, but like literally, Auburn should have lost that game multiple times in the point. It wasn't like they made a play. It's just that Missouri made a negative play. You look at the the the, the overtime stats. Auburn had minus three yards in overtime and won the game pass. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. No, I mean, right there, the kick at the end is a chip shot. All three of us here on this podcast could have made that. I'm Without a doubt, we we're making that kick, okay? No you question. You that kick, you go into overtime, you call up the right play, and you try to do too much. You're being a little extra. Running backs, no, you never try to do that. If it's fourth down, CD, and you had yep. to have it, you do everything you can to get in the end zone, it would have been first and goal from the one. Two at the worst. You live to play another down. And remember, like, you've had success on the ground. First time in – first play in overtime, like, you have success. Smart situational football is a lot of wins and losses, and Missouri allowed all – like, there's not going to be a tape that you watch and just be more sick about than if you're the Missouri coaching staff yeah. watching that tape. And so, yeah, Auburn won. It's about wins and losses, but Missouri did everything they possibly could to give that game to Auburn. So we're, we're, we're messing up here. We're getting ahead of ourselves because we're going to have an opportunity to talk about our last call on Missouri. So let's make it about Auburn real quick. Auburn still is incredibly deficient in SEC-caliber talent. Uh, it's going to be a long season within the conference. And unfortunately for Brian Harson, the one thing they need to do is recruit well. And when you're being cut off at the knees, the way that he has dating back to January, you're not going to be able to bring the talent in. I mean, I think that's, it's why it's an inevitable uh, conclusion to the era there, unfortunately, because I like Brian Harson a lot, but they're not doing the things that need to be done. And that's helping to upgrade the talent. They don't have the line of scrimmage talent that, that you need in this conference. Their offensive line is terrible. The defensive line is not much better. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, Auburn is going to find themselves in an uphill battle against every SEC team they play this year. Yeah, I'm completely – I'm right there with you. Going back and watching that tape for the Auburn Tigers, it's offensively – it's just 
it's as bad as you'll see from a quarterback perspective. Um, their grades on pro football focus, extremely low. Um, there's some offensive line issues. Uh, Tank Bixby's a hell of a football player, but even his involvement in the offense, I've got questions on how they're using him. And so, yeah, it, it's a hot mess right now. No question about it. Ten, ten carries in the first quarter – or not, I think nine carries in the first quarter and only – no, I think it was ten in the first quarter, nine the remainder of the game. I, I don't know if that's just, uh, hey, we're getting away from him or we don't have confidence in the offensive line to be able to keep handing him the ball. And remember the week before, T.J. Finley had the same amount of carries and Ashford had more carries than Tank Bixby. you got to yeah. have an identity. Auburn doesn't have one right now. Yeah. All right, Alabama, Vanderbilt, 55-3 for the tie, domination. CD, we'll start with you, man. Last call, what you got? It's all about the offense, the passing game, and specifically the wide receivers. I mean, we've been looking for some downfield passing attack from, from I almost said Tua, from uh, Bryce <laughs> Young. And um, you finally got some guys that stepped up there. Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, a big night for him. Uh, Jermaine Burton making a big play down the field before halftime. This is what we've come to expect from Alabama's offense. And, and I'm still not completely sold on it. And a little bit of a tease for Alabama fans has in the warm-ups with Tyler uh, Harrell and, and JoJo Earl warming up and being a part of the, the, uh, the, the, the pregame stuff. So can they get him back, th those two guys back? I think it'll be uh, a huge benefit. But I at least saw some playmakers stepping up the way we wanted them to in that downfield passing attack. So I, I, I feel a little more positive about the offense after the game against Fanny. Yeah, look, it's the position that has to continue to grow. If Alabama wants to win national championship, if they want to play in the SEC championship, that is the position that has to grow the most. Yes, you did, you did extremely well. You did great things against Vanderbilt, Brooks, and Burton, and Holden, but it's got to be this week. Arkansas will give you yards through the air. You've got to take advantage of it. It's got to be continued success for that receiver group because if that group doesn't step up, Alabama is not going to get to the finish line. If they do, then we're having the same conversation that we always have about them because I think they're good at running back. They've got multiple guys that can carry the football. We know they're good at quarterback. They've got um, some defensive guys that you want to see play a little better, but you know you've seen it before. You know they can play better. The receiver group will tell the story of Alabama's season. All right, let's move to the east, but we'll keep it with that same game. Vanderbilt. Last call, Hess. They're on the wrong side of 55-3 to Bama. Uh, look, Vanderbilt already got their win total. They've got three wins. It was set at two and a half, and yeah. they're never going to go to a game in Tuscaloosa and have a lot of success. They just they weren't going to do it. Um, I feel still really good about the quarterback situation there. I feel good about the direction of the program, but they are not e anywhere close to being able to go play a game like this and be successful. So – what I know about Vanderbilt is they're on the right path. It's not going to be accelerated. It's going to be a slow burn because that's just the way it is. That, that is what's going to have to happen with Clark Lee there at Vanderbilt. But I do still feel pretty good about the program and where they're headed. I was surprised, though, that the offense wasn't able to, to put more drives together. Um, we talked last week about the Vanderbilt team total. It was set at nine and a half. I was convinced that they were going to go over that. I was convinced that, that A.J. Swan was going to throw a touchdown, that Will Shepard would be able to make a play, that Ray Davis could help out offensively. None of that happened. But they did score their first points against Alabama since 2006, so they didn't get pitched another 
donut the way that they had in the two previous meetings. So I guess there's something to build on there. But yeah, not a lot that you can take away from from that game. I still believe that that Vandy's going to pick up at least one, maybe two SEC wins this season. Uh, but we will continue to to monitor that as they get into the heart of the SEC schedule. All right, South Carolina, tough scheduling early on. Weeks two and three, they go at Arkansas. Then they host Georgia. So last week, they get a little bit of a palate cleanser, which looked hairy early on, but they pull away 56-20 against Charlotte. So, uh, CD, we'll go back to you here. Last call on the Gamecocks. That's exactly right. I thought this was a dangerous game, Hess. I thought this was one where they could be set up for failure against a team that they're technically a lot better than. Early on, they kind of sludged through the, the first quarter into the second quarter, but the defense kind of got some traction. You saw some explosiveness. And, and how about the fact that, that Marshawn Lloyd is back to being healthy and he looks like the guy that was advertised when he was coming out of high school from Rhode Island. Uh, one of the highly, most highly recruited uh, players that South Carolina has ever been able to sign yep. comes in and just continues to show kind of what he's capable of doing when he's healthy. The, the, the hurdle that was all over ESPN, uh, showing some, some patience, showing some explosiveness, and maybe most importantly, showing a little physicality with the way he's finishing his runs. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's a guy we talked a lot about last year, right? We talked about how talented he was, what he could do for the team because of their quarterback situation, and we knew they are going to have to find some other ways to be successful offensively. For me, like the thing I know is this is the perfect scheduling for them. After having Arkansas and UGA in back-to-back weeks, you could tell that was starting to take a toll on them. Even Georgia State in the first week, like that's a team that, you know, Coach Elliott we've talked about as well and, and not a horrible football team by any means. So you come back, and it was hairy early, but you pull off a 56-20 to 20 victory. Now you have the game actually going to be played here on Thursday. South Carolina, South Carolina State moved up because of the hurricane. It's exactly what they need before they head to Kentucky, A&M. They get Mizzou and Vanderbilt. So you got two games that you feel good about, two that are going to be extremely tough, and then two games that you feel better about with Mizzou and Vanderbilt. So – this game will be important to continue that confidence builder. And then you've got a slate that's going to be difficult for you. But the thing I know about them is they're not where I thought they would be. They're a little behind still, but a game like tonight, they're going to go out there, be successful. And that helps gain that confidence to be ready for Kentucky. All right. We touched on uh, the Auburn side of Auburn, Missouri earlier, just a tough loss, 17, 14 in overtime had every chance in the world to win that game. Hester last call on Missouri. Oh, you, you got to stay together, and it hurts, it burns, it's difficult for a team like Mizzou to go to Jordan-Hare, a difficult place to play, and literally hand them the game multiple times. It's just it's difficult to get past that. So yeah. when you look at that situation and you had some success and love it's out there, has a big day, Pete, the running back, had a big day, and like you said, like, how do you lose that game? They have negative yards in overtime. Auburn does against you and you, and you still lose. It just, that game can last three, four weeks if you allow it to. And the, the yeah. thing that's a problem is they don't really get to come up for air. You, you got Georgia coming up. So the thing Eli has to make sure is he doesn't allow this two game stretch to last for the rest of the season. It's going to be very difficult. A win in that game, and then a loss to Georgia feels completely different than the way you lost that game. Yeah. Beat down by Georgia. And oh, yeah, your next time out, you got to go to the swamp. So 
I don't know how they do it. I don't know if Eli can get it done. They can't allow this game to continue to affect the rest of their season. Now, I will say this, though. I did see some encouraging signs from Missouri. The fact that they were down 14 nothing and battled back to make that a 14-all game. The fact that the defense played as well as they did for the final three quarters of that game was encouraging. The fact that they made some plays offensively to set their kicker up for an opportunity for a game-winning field goal, driving you know, about 60-something yards to, to be in field goal range with Brady Cook making a big throw uh, down the stretch. Like, there's a lot of things to be able to, to feel encouraged by if you're a Missouri fan. But it goes back to what you said earlier about Arkansas. You have to find a way to win. When you're, when you're a team that's trying to, to move in an upward trajectory, you have to make plays when they're presented. And, and they did the opposite of that. Not only did they not make plays, they did – they made negative plays, missing a, a chip shot field goal, which Mevis had made every attempt, including, you know, extra point attempts within 30 yards in his career there at Missouri. Um, the, 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 the extension of the ball uh, by Pete down there at the, the goal line, as you talked about earlier, has you never do that as a ball carry unless it's fourth down. Everybody should know that. Um, but the biggest thing to me is not learning from mistakes. They jump off sides before, on, on the field goal attempt at the end of the half, which ends up not costing them. But the ultimate difference in the game was that they, they jumped off sides again in overtime and allowed uh, you know, a, a Carlson miss to become another opportunity for him to make, which he did. Like yep. That's the thing that probably is the most concerning to me is, are the little things like that. Jumping off sides on a field goal block attempt is just, to me, un, uncalled for, unnecessary and unacceptable. Yep. All right, let's go with the Gators. 38-33. Made it close late. And that onside kick, I mean, that was – for a second, I mean, I know you can't advance it, but the balance is perfectly. He catches you, like, go to the house, win this game. Either way, <laughs> yeah. they, they get the ball back. Some questionable uh, two-point conversion decisions at times. But, uh, CD, we'll start with you, man. Last call on the Gators. Hester, here, here's my thinking on, on my alma mater. And – I mentioned it earlier. We don't celebrate moral victories in, in Gator Nation, but I saw a lot that I like that I'm encouraged by. And I know Florida's going to get better. I think Billy Napier is doing a great job of, of recruiting and putting together, you know, a, a great signing class for 2023 with the emphasis on the defensive line. But the thing that he can do right now is that he can create a culture and he's created a culture already of guys that are resilient, that fight, that keep battling all the way to the end. And they, they did it against Utah in, a, in an effort to win the game, which they were able to do. And they did it in a losing effort against Tennessee, but they never gave up. Even when they were down 17 with about eight minutes to go in the game, they found a way to get it to within one possession with a chance to throw it in the end zone at the end of the game to, to win. And um, I, I thought heading into this year, Hess, this was year zero for Billy Napier that I really didn't care what the record was. I just wanted to see improvement throughout the season. And I wanted to see a culture start to be built upon as a foundation going forward for future years of this program. And I'm seeing that so far from, from Florida's team through the month, first month of the season. Yeah, And I completely agree with you. And, and you know, this, I've told you this before, I believe in Billy Napier. I think he's a hell of a football coach. And I think you are ahead of schedule to what I thought you would be. Um, I think Rob Sells, the offensive coordinator, I think he's starting to, to gel with him and Billy Napier have been together for a long time, but I think they're both kind of figuring out exactly what they want to be on offense. We talked about it earlier. The receiver position has stepped up. 
you needed that. The running back room is is actually set up for success, certainly with when you throw in Anthony Richardson can run the football like he can. But I thought the receiver room stepped up in this game. I think Florida is, in my opinion, from an outsider, way ahead of where I thought they would be. They've still got games left on their schedule, as you know, CD, that can still set up a special run. Is it going to be a national championship season? No. And I understand that's kind of the standard at a place like Florida, and it should be. But they still have games against LSU, against Georgia, against A&M, and certainly against Florida State looks completely different to end the season where they can have massive wins and they can have success within this season and parlay into success in the offseason in recruiting and then again in the next season. So for me, I think Florida's ahead of where I would have them on their schedule. Hey, and what a great test in the first month of the season on the job for Billy Napier. I don't know that Florida's ever faced a more difficult opening month of the season than what they had to with Utah, Kentucky, USF, and Tennessee. Um, the schedule's not going to get any easier, as you talked about, but that's life in the SEC. And, uh, you know, I, I think Billy Napier and this team actually kind of relishes the opportunity to face that kind of competition to get a feel for where they really are. All right, let's just go to the other side of that game. Tennessee, Hess, last call on the balls. Oof, I think Tennessee's the real deal, Holyfield. I truly do. I think they have exercised some demons of the past of having teams that felt like they were on the verge but couldn't quite get past whatever was in front of them. Like, beating Florida is a big deal. CD, you know this. Florida won that game 16 of the last 17. It was a bugaboo for them. They couldn't figure out a way to beat the Florida Gators. Will you do so? The next time that you play, you've got a contest in Death Valley. That's going to be a challenge. You've got Alabama coming up as well. You've got Kentucky, Georgia. So you've still got plenty of meat on the bone to go out there and prove that you are a true top 10, top five team in the country. But you've passed a bunch of tests already for me. The Florida victory, as I said, like you go back and you watch that road game at Pitt. That was a tough game. Like they found a toughness in that game. It wasn't yeah. the style of boxer that they typically are. They had to become a different style of fighter, and they did, and they won that game. I mean, I didn't know if Pitt was going to finish the game with a quarterback. They were mauling the quarterback, and Pitt returned all five starting offensive linemen. That's a good unit. Tennessee got after them and beat them up a little bit. So, for me, Tennessee is a team that has shown me they can win games in multiple ways. It can be a slugfest like it was in Pitt. It can be a game like against Florida where it looks like a little bit of a track meet. Now, again, they've got some schedule coming up that's going to tell us if they're a like championship contender, but I think they've really got on the other side of what they've been in the past, which is they got talent. Yeah, they're going to win some games with Josh Dobbs, but it was like a lot of Hail Marys, and no, this is a different team. This team can line up and beat you. What a difference a year makes, too. I mean, last year, Florida beat Tennessee handily in Gainesville. We weren't feeling really good about the direction of, of the Vols program. Wondering how long it was going to take Josh Heupel, if he even was the right guy, to get them back to where they want to be. And I think we all now feel much different about the direction of this program and what this team can do in the second year of his term in, in Knoxville. So um, I will say this, though. I, I am still a little concerned about the secondary. I, I thought that their defense had got better this year. Florida putting up those type of passing numbers against the Vol secondary is concerning to me. But when I talk, watch the tape, has the front seven flies around. They're incredibly physical. They're going to hit you. They got after Anthony Richardson. I think a lesser athletic quarterback probably would not have been able to, to elude as much of the pressure that he was under on Saturday. So 
uh, that can help the secondary, which still needs to, to get better, but certainly can be uh, maybe uh, protected a little bit more by uh, facing a, a lesser athlete at the quarterback spot than what Anthony Richardson is. All right, two left here before we spin it forward. Let's go with Kentucky. And uh, as much as we want to, we're looking back. We're not looking ahead to this Ole Miss game yet. But Kentucky wins 31-23 over Northern Illinois. So, CD, last call on the Wildcats. I'm going to minimize my concern about the numbers that I saw in the box score on on Saturday night. Uh, Five sacks, multiple quarterback hurries. Northern Illinois was going high risk, high reward. They brought five or six about every single time that that uh, Kentucky dropped back to pass. And I'll say this. I think what could be looked at as a weakness, I look at it as a strength. Watching Will Levis stand in there and make throws under duress, when you have a free blitzer coming right in your face, like and you're able to stand in there and deliver a strike to your receivers, that 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 takes a man. That takes a, a full-grown man to do that. And, and Will Levis is certainly a full-grown man. And I think look no further than the, the yards after the catch. The, the, the yards that Tavion Robinson was, was able to put up, the yards that Barry and Brown was able to put up, those are the type of plays when your quarterback stands in there and lets you make a, a, a catch against one-on-one coverage that you can turn into big gainers, which they certainly did. I love this offense. I love the, the receivers. In addition to Tavion, there's a bunch of, of young guys that are, are starting to to, uh, to contribute and make it a, a well-rounded passing attack, and you get Chris Rodriguez back this week. I, I, I just I can't help but be bullish on this, uh, this Kentucky team as I've been you know, for a while now. Yeah, my takeaway from them is Chris Rodriguez is coming. We're not talking about a piece. We're talking about a dude. We're talking about a first-team preseason all-SEC running back. What has Kentucky struggled to do? Run the football, only 88 yards per game. Now, Cavassier Smoke has actually done a pretty nice job of filling in, but here's the problem. So when you lose a back, two goes to one, three goes to two, you know, four goes to three. Well, the guys that got elevated behind Cavassier Smoke, they've struggled. They have not been good so far on the season. So now you get Rodriguez back, Cavassier Smoke gets to go back to RB2, playing a ton still and having an impact, yeah. impact on his offense but he gives you so much more versatility than the other backs in that room. Now that you get Rodriguez back, it is going to fix a lot for me. I think Will Levis will be better because of it. I think the entire offense will be better because of it. Because again, this isn't a piece. This is somebody that everyone thought would be one of the two best running backs in the entire conference coming into the season. We're about to see the best Kentucky offense. I think this week. He's going to take the pressure off of, of the passing game. He's going to give you a compliment and his ability to run. He's going to open up the play action passing game more because you're going to have to respect the threat of him carrying the football. He's going to help in pass protection, yep. which the running back position has kind of been lacking here in the last couple of weeks. And maybe most importantly, I don't know if you watch the tape, but there are tackles where the running backs are going down with arm tackles yep. that are not going to bring Chris Rodriguez down with as powerful as he is, his lower body and the ability to run through through tackles, you're going to see some of those that have been two-yard gains turn into 22-yard gains. All right, last one here, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys have on the dogs. They beat Kent State not as much as we thought, 39-22 here. Uh, CD, we'll start with you, man. What do you got on Georgia? I got on Georgia that this was the best thing that possibly could have happened, that Kirby Smart was smiling 
watching the, the final minutes tick off the clock because he was going to be able to go in there on, on Sunday or Monday when they watch the tape and point to, hey, you guys aren't as good as what everybody's telling you you are. When you guys don't come with focus, when you don't come with discipline, when you don't pay attention to the details, you guys are susceptible. And they're lucky they weren't playing against an SEC opponent and we're playing against Kent State, not taking anything away from them. But if they were playing somebody that was a little more talented, they could have lost that game. Turning the ball over three times in the first half, letting, you know, short catches turn into long gains for touchdowns. That is not what we come to expect from, from Georgia under Kirby. And this is a great opportunity to kind of uh, get those guys back on track and focused and humbled a little bit more importantly, I think. Has. I think you're exactly right. Like Kirby is going to love to be able to coach off of this. And again, like it wasn't like it was a one score game. You still beat them by three scores, but Georgia had just blown everyone out of the water, including a good Oregon team. Oregon's right there back in the top 15 in the country. So, yeah, you have a game like this. Now you have an opportunity to go get back into the SEC. It's going to be a game that, no disrespect to Mizzou, that you're going to win, and you're probably going to win it pretty easily. And then you get an Auburn team that you're going to be a favorite. You get a Vanderbilt team where you're going to be a favorite. So you might not get challenged again until October the 29th. So as much as a 17-point game can be a challenge, Kirby loves it. It's going to help Georgia. Not worried at all. All right. Let's do it. It's pregame time. Let's spin it forward. Week five. We got five games here. Uh, because of the weather, South Carolina Thursday, Florida Sunday. So we're left with five games on Saturday, and they are all SEC versus SEC matchups. Let's go ahead and start with the biggest spread of the week. Georgia at Missouri. Dogs are 28-point favorite. Over-under is 54. What do you think about that number? And then just kind of what do you want to see from this game? How does it play out? H- Hester. He talked about that spread, the biggest spread on the board and SEC uh, opponents playing one another this week. It's not big enough. That the worst thing that could have happened for Missouri was watching K-State do what they did against Georgia. Uh, they're going to get a focused Georgia team coming into Como. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I've got my best bet set. I'm giving you one right here. Georgia is going to demolish Missouri on Saturday. Give me Georgia minus the 28. I think this is a game that is a runaway because there is a large discrepancy of talent between where Georgia is right now and where Missouri is right now. And that talent is going to be focused and motivated after the K-State game or Kansas State game. Yeah, this look, this is going to be a pretty quick preview from me as well. I I just think that Georgia is going to be focused. Missouri, heartache last week. They should have won that game multiple times. They didn't, as we've mentioned. It's hard to bounce back from something like that. And then you obviously – you look up and you're like, man, who's coming to town? Georgia's coming to town? It's going to be tough for Mizzou to keep up in this game. I think Georgia breezes past Missouri, and Georgia's going to kind of refocus, get back on track before they kind of get to some of their games on their schedule where maybe they get a little hairy. But it's not going to get hairy this week in Como. By the way, I said Kent State – or excuse me, I said Kansas State. It was Kent State. Nonetheless, they gave Georgia. Kansas State uh, probably left a lasting memory with Mizzou. Yeah, let and OU too as well. So let's let's keep them out of the SEC. We'll we'll welcome OU and Texas, and we'll keep uh, Kansas State out. They they fared well. Unless they're playing Tulane, so you know. <laughs> I mean, Louisiana, we're built different. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, let's go uh, LSU Auburn. The three and one Tigers against the three and one Tigers. This is a uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. LSU Tigers favored by eight with an over-under of 46. Hess, we'll start with you, man. What are you thinking about this game? 
Yeah, not many times um, will LSU go on the road to Auburn and be a favorite like they are. It's just a tough environment. It's a tough place to play. This series is always just all over the place. There's been so many games that we could point to, and crazy things have happened, and there's been fires behind the stadium. There's been coaches get fired after the last play of the game. Looks like you win. You don't win because there's no time left. I mean, we could go on and on about this series, but Auburn offensively, is just so challenged right now. They can't throw the forward pass, and their running back, Tank Bixby, is a stud, but they're they're having a hard time finding out how to get him the ball in the right ways, and I don't even really think they're doing a good job of trying to figure that out. If I'm LSU, I make them prove that Ashford can throw it over my head. I, I play – I don't play cover zero or anything crazy all game long, but I, I have a big run emphasis game plan coming into this one. Um, we've seen what LSU can do offensively with their quarterback. Do I think Auburn's defensive line can have success against LSU's offensive line? I do, but I don't think it's enough to win the game. I think the LSU Tigers go into Jordan here and do something that they don't do very often and get a big win. Word is that TJ Finley could be available, but the coaching staff wants to ride with Robbie Ashford as the quarterback I, of the hey, future. I don't, even, I don't even think it matters at this point. With I, I don't think it matters either, but I think, as you said, it kind of limits the game plan a little bit. I'm making Ashford beat me with some of his throws, which I don't think he's, he's capable of doing. I think this is a mismatch, uh, and I don't, I don't have a whole lot of hope for Auburn, unfortunately, going forward this season. All right, SEC West battle in Starkville. A&M coming off that big win, Mississippi State 0-1 in conference with the loss to LSU, so they're looking to get on the board. Mississippi State favored by four at home, over under of 45. CD, where are you leaning here? Hess, this is my second best bet of the weekend, and it's probably low-key my favorite matchup of the weekend as well. I, I, I don't think people are paying as much attention as, as they should, a big SEC West battle. Um, I don't believe – in, in A&M, and I've said that throughout this sh- this podcast and throughout the season. Um, a, 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 there were some curious spreads the last couple of weeks, right? When we looked at the Miami game with, with A&M being favored by six and a half, and it turned out to be uh, spot on. When you look at the spread last week with Arkansas being a two-point underdog to, to, to Texas A&M, it seemed a little curious, and, and it was spot on as well. Well, this week, Mississippi State's favored by three or three and a half points, and there's a reason for that. And I think the reason is that, that Texas A&M cannot score with what Mississippi State's going to be able to score. Uh, there was an uneven game, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with, with Mississippi State not putting it together for four quarters last week. They will put it together for four quarters this week. Uh, and I don't think that, that the offense or the offensive line is going to be able to uh, do what they need to do to score with Will Rogers and that Mississippi State offense. So uh, give me give me Mississippi State and give me them as my second best bet of the weekend. So, CD, I just will say it opened at two and a half and it is up to four. So, hey, we recorded later in the week right now. You're having it at four. Is it still a best bet at four? It is a best bet with us buying it down to three. I will let you know what that uh, juice is, probably somewhere around minus 130 to 140, I would guess, Hess. So is that yeah. Uh, accurate? Yeah, I think that would be probably where it's at. And I don't hate buying it down. The three and I like the way you set that up though about the game plan and Mississippi State and how Texas A&M would struggle if it does become an all-out shootout because Texas A&M is just not made for that right now. Now Mississippi State they can have a lot of success against really good defenses and I think they learned a lot in that LSU loss 
This is a game that Mississippi State also won last year on the road. So it's not like it's crazy to think Mississippi State's going to have some advantages in this game. Remember, this is the same Mississippi State team. They return the most production of any team in the SEC, the seventh most in the country. So this is yeah. the same team that beat A&M a year ago. It's a new A&M team. I actually like Mississippi State in this one as well. I, I just think that it's going to be a great environment. Again, Mississippi State learned from their loss. Texas A&M gets some momentum from a victory against Arkansas, but I just don't know that this is the best matchup for them after a game like that. And so, crazy enough, I think I'm going to ride with you. I think I like Mississippi State. See, I can get you minus three and a half uh, on MGM for minus 110 uh, and then uh, minus three at 120. Yeah, by, I'll take it. You got get it to the key number minus three at uh, at minus one twenty. I'll do that all day long. All right, let's go. Not, to that, I, not that I think it's going to matter. Not that I think it's uh, it's going to factor in. But I want to make sure that I protect myself. Hey, we'll go so, to every uh, sports book we have to. <laughs> yep. All right, I, got I I can get you uh, minus three and a half on DraftKings for uh, minus one hundred five. Okay. Right. Yeah, all right. it down a half minus three um, for what minus one twenty there on DraftKings uh, Hess. Let's see. I, look, the best part about this is we can find out. Okay. Let me see. <laughs> minus three would get you, yeah, minus 130 alternate spread. All right. I'll take it. Minus 130. Later right. three. Boom. Lock it in. Uh, all right. Let's go to Fayetteville, Alabama, Arkansas. Bama favored by 17 points here. I've seen it 17 and a half. Now it's, I guess, 17 over under of 61. Hess, what are we thinking? I think this is going to be a fantastic environment. I think it's probably going to be the best environment in the SEC this week. I think Arkansas is going to come out and they're going to throw haymakers. Now, I also think that Alabama eventually will start to catch those haymakers, eat those haymakers, and counterpunch their way to a victory. I don't see this as a 17-point game. I think Alabama finds a way. I think that Bryce Young will do what he does. He'll make a play through the air at the end of the game. But Arkansas is ready for a game like this. Now, can they win a game like this? And are they ready for a game like this? Is two different things. What I talked about earlier, they haven't learned the behavior of winning a game like this. Can they do it in this game? If they do, then that's going to really set them up down the road. I just don't think they're there yet, CD. So it's going to be a game. The environment's going to be fantastic. At the end of the day, though, the talent of Alabama and the play by Bryce Young through the air, I think is going to be the difference. You know what? Mark me down for my third best bet because I'm taking all 17 of those points. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that Arkansas necessarily wins. But if you go back historically over the last year and a half, Hess, and look when Alabama's left Tuscaloosa, when they go on the road, outside of that blowout victory in Starkville last year, they've had some trouble, right? They have not necessarily dominated the same way. And it's because there's a lot of self-inflicted errors. Look at that Auburn game last year. A ton, I think 11, 12 penalties in that game. 15 penalties when they go on the road to Texas earlier in the season. Uh, sacks and pressures, seven sacks from Auburn. Uh, last year, six sacks, I believe, from Texas A&M when they were able to, to knock off the tide. Yeah. Uh, pressure time and time again. So those are things that I'm going to expect from Arkansas. The leading sacker in the entire country right now. They're going to be able to get pressure on Bryce Young. They're going to be able to take advantage of what I still think is a very average offensive line for the Crimson Tide. I'm interested to see if they can clean up the penalties. But nonetheless, you're going to give me three scores at home in an environment that's going to be intimidating. Yeah. And you say what you want. 
Alabama may not be intimidated historically, but there, there are these are different kids that haven't necessarily had the same sort of success that that a lot of the Alabama teams have in the past. I think they win the game, but I don't think it's the cakewalk that Vegas would have you believe it is right now. So give me the 17, give me the Hogs in a closer than expected loss to Alabama. So that stat that CD's talking about, Bryce Young has had five true road starts as Alabama starter. Four of those games were decided by three points or less. That is enough, I think, to be able to say, okay, this is something. It's not one game, two games. When you talk about your five true road starts and four of those games have been a field goal or less, that's a stat that you can kind of lean on. All right, last one here. Game of the week in Oxford. Battle of the undefeateds, 4-0 versus 4-0. Kentucky, Ole Miss. Ole Miss favored by seven here, over-under of 54. CD, we'll start with you. Yes, these two teams have never met at 4-0 or better in the history of, of, of the, these team football programs. So we're in uncharted territory here. Uh, Kentucky has not necessarily had success on the road in recent years and certainly hadn't had success in the history of going to, to Oxford where they've lost their last five. But for whatever reason, I feel like I know more and can trust more about Kentucky than I can Ole Miss. Ole Miss's schedule is as easy as they've come. Uh, they played three group of five teams, and the one Power Five team they played is one of the worst three in all of Power Five in Georgia Tech. So yeah. I, I just, for whatever reason, you're going to give me seven points. Like, I don't know if Kentucky will win. I think they'll win, but you're going to give me seven points. Mark this down for me, Big Turf, as my fourth best bet of the week. I'm, I'm committing now. All four are locked and loaded. All four are going to be winners. Uh, Kentucky may very well win this game outright. Uh, I like the fact that Chris Rodriguez comes back. I think it helps the offensive line. It certainly helps Will Levis and his defense. Even though you, you, you may be missing J.J. Weaver, I'm not sure if he's going to be back yet, but they are, they are primed to stop this rushing attack, which has been the bread and butter of Ole Miss's uh, team this year. Give me the Kentucky Wildcats, Seth. Now, I don't have to do this because we have mobile sports betting. Oh, here we but go. If we didn't, and if, it, if it was old school where we had to go to the window – I would pull both my hamstrings running to bet Kentucky <laughs> plus seven points against Ole Miss. I know more about Kentucky. I'm not saying Ole Miss is not a good football team. Lane Kiffin had to try to call out his crowd because he said it feels like a high school environment when they've come out of the tunnel. He said, I've taken to Twitter a couple of times. It's not worked. I'm throwing my hands in the air. Now, some of that's to try to get fans into the stadium and be condescending. The environment is not going to be too big for Kentucky. They played in a packed swamp, one of the most difficult places to play in the country. They're getting their best offensive player back. I, I realize what Will Levis's draft stock is, and he's a stud. Chris Rodriguez is their best offensive player. He's been their best offensive player for years. They get him back. They fix a problem with running the football by getting him back. I love, and I love Kentucky plus seven in this matchup. Kentucky is at a point where this is not too big for them. They've already been through this this year. Do you know that Mark Stoops has to love? Like, don't you just know he loves the fact that they're seven-point dogs going into this contest? I like Kentucky's quarterback matchup over Jackson Dart. I just think Kentucky has big advantages in this contest. I'm not saying it's a runaway. Ole Miss is good. That running back room is good. They'll be in this game but you're giving me a full touchdown and an extra point with the number seven team in the country going into an environment that I think they should be able to handle. 
give me Kentucky all day in this. All right, let's go. Doring with four best bets before we finish recording. Mm-hmm. Hess went for the big four last week and it worked. So I, I see why you're going for that, CD. Hess goes I, I three. You, I would not you, lose a game last week. And you didn't. You didn't. Push, but I didn't lose. There was, some, there was a few pushes across the board. We were all on Arkansas plus two. The, the beauty of it is we had a phenomenal week. And just this one little field goal off the top of the upright would have made it one of the best weeks we've ever seen. But CD goes one, one, and one. You hit Missouri. You took Missouri plus seven. They went out, right? Let's go. You miss Vanderbilt, mm, 40 and a half. They lose by 50. What an idiot. What kind of <laughs> idiot bets on Vanderbilt going to going Tuscaloosa? Tuscaloosa? Hey, the same. Hey, I'm an idiot. I bet Kent State going to Athens, but it worked out. That's <laughs> true. If it's stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Uh, and That's then right. CD, you got the push on Arkansas. Hess, like you mentioned, Kent State plus 45. Hess, like you met, you uh, you didn't actually mention it. You said it in the text. You said Missouri Auburn at fifty one was the most obvious under of all time. Yeah, I mean, let's go. Florida yeah, plus eleven, like was betting lo- Iowa this year, like bet the under. Florida plus eleven was looking a little bit uh, iffy, and then right. uh, and then Billy right. Napier goes for two, and then they score late. I mean, Anthony Richardson driving down the field for that backdoor cover was was <laughs> your dream there in my it nightmare. It was. And, my and son's our, asking me, Dad, why are you cheering in this game so much? Like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you're old. Uh, and then Arkansas plus two push. And I also put out, I felt good about Arkansas, so I put out Big Terps block of the week. And I have not lost one of those. So, oh, oh, and Fair. one. A lot of pushes on Arkansas. But CD looking to go four and oh this week. Has how many are you feeling? Um, if he's going to go four, hey, scare money don't make money. I'll go four as well. I've already got one. I'll give you three more. All right. Maybe not right now here, but we put those out tomorrow or early Saturday morning, depending on what our Friday night was like. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Big Terp, tell the people where they can find our podcast. I know we're on Apple, Spotify, but also you do great work with the YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. Uh, We'll put that link out on the social media, but you can also just search pre-gaming the SEC on YouTube. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, and we're putting all this stuff out on Twitter and Instagram. Go check out the reels on Instagram. Uh, Yeah, and we'll link to every single place you can find this podcast. And those links and those handles, I should say, on social media are at pregaming the SEC, right? At pregaming the SEC. Yeah, even meathead like me can find at pregaming the SEC. All right. For Chris Doring, for Big Turp, for Walk Ons Sports Bistro, walk onscom We will see you next week for pre gaming the SEC week number six. We'll see you then.